Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello and welcome to episode 249 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. It's been a shocking week in the UK with the most dreadful events happening in Plymouth. Even for those of us who consume way too much true crime, the fact that this horror could happen on our streets here is hard to comprehend. And today's story, this time from the northeast of England, is about another young man who wanted to bring terror and murder to our streets. This episode is brought to you by Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds, anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn how to cook restaurant-quality dishes from Gordon Ramsay, improve your jazz skills with Herbie Hancock, or learn songwriting from Alicia Keys. With over 100 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. My last one was the art of performance with Usher. It sounds great, doesn't it? And it was. I picked up a ton of practical, useful tips. And what I love about Masterclass is it's so flexible that you take the course at a time that suits you with your busy schedule. Each class is broken out into individual video lessons, usually around 10 minutes long. So you can learn how to write anything from a book or screenplay to just a letter. I think with my current book sales, the writing of book classes for me. I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every masterclass and as a UK true crime listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash truecrime. That's masterclass.com slash truecrime for 15% off masterclass. This episode is sponsored by Relief Band. My friends find it amusing that as a keen sailor I suffer from seasickness and I also struggle with car sickness and air sickness too. If you suffer as well, you'll know just how unpleasant it is. But if, like me, you do suffer, then you need to check out Relief Band. I've been using it these last few weeks and it really works. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy and so much more. It's 100% drug-free, non-drowsy and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects for as long as needed. I was amazed at how it works. Relief band simply stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach, telling you that you are sick. So if you are anxious about any future travel, I've got some good news. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for UK true crime listeners. If you go to reliefband.co.uk and use the promo code TRUECRIME, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no-questions-asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to reliefband.co.uk 
and use our promo code TRUECRIME for 20% off plus free shipping. Let's set some context for today's story with our guest the month and year game. The top of the UK charts was Ed Sheeran with Thinking Out Loud. In the US, Taylor Swift was shaking it off. And in Australia, the top album was Taylor Swift again with 1989. In the news this month, New York's 104-storey One World Trade Centre officially opened 13 years after the September 11th attacks. Australian cricketer Philip Hughes tragically died two days after being struck on the head by a cricket ball. Nicola Sturgeon succeeded Alex Salmond as leader of the Scottish National Party at that annual conference. And in true crime news, Angus Sinclair, the serial killer and rapist, was jailed for 37 years, the longest ever sentence handed out by a Scottish court. If only someone would write a book about him. Did you guess the month and year? It was November 2014. Okay, let's get on with today's story. Hamilton Place is in the Arthur's Hill area of Newcastle upon Tyne. It falls within the Benwell and Ellswick policing neighbourhood, presided over by the police force of Northumbria. Just like where so many of us live in the UK, the area is beset by a fairly standard crime rate, where the figures for June 2021, for example, reveal that the majority of incidents are related to antisocial behaviour issues. In November 2014, though, something far more sinister was occurring right under the noses of the oblivious local residents. For how could they ever have known that a quiet, insignificant 18-year-old living with his mum and sister was plotting the most dreadful acts in the very city in which they lived? Liam Lybird attended Newcastle College at the Rye Hill campus on Scotswood Road. In 2012, he had enrolled at the college, opting to study maths and English. The subjects in themselves were perhaps an unusual choice for someone who was rather fanatical about computers and IT, and he was certainly highly adept in this field. His time at college didn't work out. After only five weeks, he was removed from his courses, and records from the college revealed that he'd been disruptive in class and had a very poor attendance record. He was, in fact, omitted from some of his courses for shocking behaviour. But such behaviour, was to become second nature for Liam. Liam was skilled at computing, but he was not now in higher education and nor was he in employment. In order to earn cash, he resorted to a manipulative method of work. No, no, don't worry, he wasn't an estate agent, nothing like that. He was spreading online viruses and forcing the victims to pay a ransom to have the encryption on their files removed, as you do. Liam would later claim that he had tricked paedophiles into downloading the virus by fooling them on teen chat sites into downloading a file. Hmm, not sure about that. Sounds about as believable as a World Health Organization investigation. The money he earned from this unscrupulous technique would be needed to help him fulfil a grand plan, something which at this time had begun to occupy his mind over all else. He knew that his chances of regular employment had dwindled after his expulsion from college, so Liam retreated into a reclusive online world, rarely leaving his bedroom and living from Domino's pizzas 
that he would order online and have delivered to his flat. He had little to no human contact and he began to drift into an unhealthy world where hate became his default emotion. He was also addicted to Valium, something which no doubt exacerbated his paranoia, whilst he penned himself away from the world in his bedroom. Rarely communicating with anyone other than his online acquaintances, his resentment at the situation he found himself in festered into a growing hatred of the college that expelled him, as well as the outside world as a whole. Initially, he began communicating with several young women over the internet. Going by the name of Felix Theodore Burns, no seriously, Liam struck up a close bond with a woman in Iceland. This type of relationship forming was something he was unable to do in the outside world, but online, Liam found it easier. The pair often exchanged messages over Skype, and some of these messages were sexual, as you'd expect but then the messages began to display other thoughts that were developing in Liam's mind. In time, his messages became wholly concentrated upon the hatred he felt for people in general and on his depraved desire to kill as many people as he could. One such message said, You will see me on the news covered in blood with my brain on the other side of the room. Another read, I'm going to die along with my friends in school. It's so sad, my life. I'm going to kill my mum and the kids in my school. It's going to be amazing. It's clear from these messages that the writer of them has major issues, but equally trying to decipher if they are written for genuine intention of carrying out the actions described is another matter altogether. We must assume that most threats made in circumstances such as these do not thankfully ever come to pass. But equally, there have been too many cases and situations where similar threats and warnings have simply been ignored and led to absolute catastrophes with people losing their lives in brutal circumstances. We of course think back to 1999 and the Columbine High School massacre where 12 students and a teacher were shot dead when the gun-wielding duo whose names I don't think ever should be mentioned had left numerous warnings of what they'd hoped to carry out, yet all were ignored. Indeed, in his comments, Liam made reference to another loner who'd committed mass murder on foreign shores, praising the awful actions of the Norwegian man who massacred 69 students in 2011. As well as planning to bring murder to his college, he was also talking about shooting random commuters on the metro train service and using poisonous gas on the region's trains. He said that he would be on Valium at the time and would resort to using my machete if the gun jammed. At least one person, it seems, did try to get him to abandon his plans. His Icelandic friend sent numerous messages in the hope of seeking a reversal in his thinking. To this end, we can only presume that she clearly believed at least some of what he told her and that the threat that he presented was very real to her. Ultimately though, Liam refused to abandon his plans and continued in his planning to cause terror and murder in Newcastle. Of course, if he was to commit such crimes, he would need to be suitably prepared in terms of weapons and ammunition. He appeared to revel in this task and he spent hours scouring the dark web where he quickly realised he could buy banned weapons 
that he could use to make his plans a reality. He started to amass everything he would need for this, the contents of which would eventually create a kill bag. Liam had earmarked the date of Monday, November the 3rd as the day that he would carry out his attack at the college. There had been construction work going on at the campus, which he had seen, so he wanted to be absolutely certain that the college would be open that day. From a Twitter account under the name of Felix Burns, he asked the college if they would still be open despite the works. Hi Felix, we remain open as usual throughout the construction work on site, came back the reply, exactly the clarification that he wanted. However, when the Monday arrived, Liam, for reasons unknown, withdrew from his plans, messaging an Australian friend saying, I'm not going to do it today, I just can't. However, another woman that Liam had been communicating with on Facebook had become increasingly alarmed by his behaviour and the messages he was posting on Facebook. During a series of sinister posts to her, he discussed going down in style, while also warning in another message that he planned to show no mercy to his innocent victims. He also wrote that he was getting crazier every day, and that his fantasies were blurring into a reality, so much so that he was, by his own admission, losing his mind and liable to snap very soon. Reading these messages, the woman in Australia contacted Northumbria police to say that she was worried. Liam had no previous convictions and was totally unknown to the police, having never been on their radar. On the same day that the report came in, two officers headed to Liam's address. At 11.30am on Monday the 3rd of November, the very day of the planned massacre, two PCs were initially sent round to the property to check on the welfare of Liam, and they were completely unaware that they were walking into the home of a would-be killer. Having knocked on the door, the officers realised very quickly that something was amiss with the teenager and noticed that his behaviour was unusual and erratic. They were soon of the opinion that additional support would be required, including an army bomb squad, who would later evacuate around 50 neighbours of Liam's. The reason that such reinforcements were required was owing to what the police officers had discovered as they searched Liam's bedroom. Upon entering the room, they were greeted with the words, Bitch Kill, which was scrawled onto the wall. Far less obvious, though, was the arsenal of weaponry they discovered, which included a 9mm semi-automatic Glock handgun, homemade pipe bombs, CS gas canisters, and 94 hollow-tipped expanding bullets. The findings were more akin to something which has become all too familiar on the other side of the Atlantic. Yet here police were, in Newcastle city centre, staring at a selection of implements gathered to create maximum carnage by a lone individual. As well as his cache of weapons, his kill bag contained a set of overalls, a mask, boots, more pipe bombs, a machete, and equally as incriminating, evidence on his laptop which described exactly how consumed he had become by his deranged plans. This was further revealed following the police raid, when a computer specialist recovered a deleted file from his computer, in which he wrote in graphic detail about achieving vengeance against the college 
which had expelled him two years earlier. It read, You people ruined my whole life. Don't expect me to show any mercy today. No one disrespects me and gets away with it. I'll teach you people a little lesson on respect with my 9mm jacketed hollow points. He continued, Fantasy will become reality today for sure. Where the mind goes, the body will follow. And yes, people will die. There's no question about that. Officers also discovered a series of webcam pictures that Liam had taken of himself dressed for combat. Donning a black mask and outfit armed with a Glock and a knife. As Liam was taken away by police, he grinned and chillingly told officers that they'd saved lives and had prevented what would have been a certain massacre at one of the UK's largest colleges. Following his arrest, he boasted, I wanted to kill them people. There's no question. Liam was charged with possession of explosives, a gun and ammunition, with intent to endanger life. At an initial hearing at North Tyneside Magistrates Court, he denied six offences of making an explosive substance with intent to endanger life between October and November 2014. A trial at Newcastle Crown Court was scheduled for July 2015. Although Liam had originally admitted to officers that he planned to kill hordes of people, he now began to claim that the whole plot was nothing more than an elaborate fantasy and something which he'd had no intention of actually carrying out. This would be the basis for his defence in court. Similarly, he would claim that the deadly weapons he'd amassed were merely for show, and he had no intention of using them. On the first day of his trial, he admitted nine charges relating to making five pipe bombs, but denied eight charges of possessing the items with an intent to endanger life. The prosecutor outlined the timeline of events to the jury and the basis of Liam's intentions. He told the court that Liam's actions were no improbable fantasy of a naive daydreamer divorced from reality, but a carefully planned revenge attack constructed and resourced by an embittered yet highly skilled and savvy computer hacker. The jury were left in no uncertain terms at the end of the trial's first day that the man in front of them was accused of crimes of a terrifying enormity. On the second day of his trial, the court heard that following the analysis of Liam's Toshiba laptop, a file was found entitled Newcastle College, which he'd attempted to delete. When it was restored, experts noted that it said, I'll see you in Newcastle College today. It's my first day back since 2012 the year in which my life became miserable after being kicked out for nothing. I'll get my power back today, haha. I'm just looking forward to getting out of the house after spending three years in my bedroom alone. The recovered file confirmed the theory that Liam's searing hatred had stemmed from his college encounter, saying that he held Newcastle College personally responsible for my miserable life, kicking me out for nothing and making me look a fool. You ruined my whole life. Don't expect me to show any mercy today. It's funny to think as I'm writing this, the people that will die are walking around as if everything is normal, not knowing they're going to die today. It's a beautiful thought. 
The jury also heard that Liam had paid tribute on Facebook to another loser, whose name should never be mentioned. In this case, the American teenager, who shot dead four classmates in Washington State before turning the gun on himself. Liam wrote, No one listens to you when you say you're going to kill people. They only listen to you after you have killed the people. No one takes it seriously anymore. During his trial though, Liam claimed that nobody needed to have taken his threat seriously and that the bombs he had made were simply part of a Halloween costume. He claimed that he had no intention of hurting anyone at his former college and that the items of clothing and the explosives were all part of the Halloween outfit. As he continued giving evidence, he asserted that he was merely an internet troll and the notes he had written about carrying out an attack at the college were just an attempt to get people's attention because he was lonely. He stated that at the time of the arrest, he was taking around six Valium tablets a day for anxiety and that he would have found it impossible to launch any attack at his former college because he hated to go outside. He told the court that his only intention was to post the threats on Facebook, leave it up for three hours, then close down his account. I wanted people to panic a little bit. I wanted people to be tearing their hair out, thinking I was going to do it, he said. He continued to deny the charges of intending to endanger life, claiming during cross-examination that the Facebook messages he posted about the imminent attack were just a wind-up to try and maintain his friend's online interest in him. The prosecutor asked if he'd been taking a big risk in buying a gun, if it was all just a game. He replied that buying a gun was just like buying a bar of chocolate. I didn't see it as a big deal at the time. He also claimed that he assumed that nobody would ever find out about the gun he had bought, as he believed he would not ever get arrested. Talking specifically about Newcastle College, Liam turned full circle, claiming that he liked the college and he wished he'd said a different college in his threats. Asked why he needed so many rounds of ammunition, he replied, if someone kicked my door in, I could defend myself. After a five-day trial, the jury had a decision to make about Liam Liebird. Was the teenager a callous and calculating would-be killer? or simply an attention-seeking loner making empty threats. The question here was riddled with complications for the jury. This was not a case which had a perpetrator and a victim. It focused around a young man's apparent burning vendetta against his college, surely something that a number of young people experience at some point during their life in education. The difference here, though, of course, was the magnitude of the revenge that he was allegedly plotting. On the 30th of July, following a day of deliberation, the jurors decided that Liam did intend to carry out his plans and he was consequently convicted of eight counts of possessing weapons with intent to endanger life. Before Judge Paul Sloan QC, Liam Liebird was jailed for life with a minimum term of eight years. The judge also commended the anonymous woman who had alerted police to Liebird's behaviour. He told Liebird that if they had not done this, then it was only a matter of time before you would have put your plan into action. Your emotional coldness and detachment and your lack of empathy to others was self-evident. 
Liebherr was also warned that owing to the psychiatric evidence gleaned from the reports conducted on him, it would, in all likelihood, be a very long time indeed before he is considered safe enough to be released. The detective who led the investigation afterwards described Liebherr as a dangerous man who intended to cause serious harm. He has at no point shown any remorse for what he intended to do. And a former neighbour was left in no doubt that the correct sentence had been passed. Speaking after the trial, she claimed that Liebherr was a loner who stalked and trolled girls on Facebook and made threats against anyone with whom he disagreed, saying he hated the world for no reason. He would definitely have used those weapons. He threatened to shoot people out of his window. He sat in his room threatening to kill people because he didn't like his life. A turn of fate is so often behind many of the cases we learn about on this podcast. In this instance, it wasn't the fortunate DNA match following a minor scuffle which linked a killer to a crime scene some years previously. In the case of Liam Liebherr, it was the tip-off from a wary member of the public. Detectives emphasised just how vital this intervention had proved, saying, This member of the public has saved lives. Liam Liebherr was not known to the force for anything in particular, and without that one contact from that one member of the public, Northumbria police wouldn't have gone to the address that day. It's very difficult to say what could have happened, but bearing in mind what he had available to him, he had the capability and capacity to cause serious harm. That makes him, in our eyes, a very dangerous individual. He was convicted on the evidence he had those items with the intent to cause serious harm. Fortunately, he was unable to carry that out. Liebert's case also raised serious questions about security measures in place at UK schools and colleges in relation to acts of extreme violence and terrorism. The principal of the college targeted claimed that the security and prevention measures in place were all robust, yet multiple staff members in the wake of Liebert's foiled attempt appeared to contradict this, claiming that the security on campus didn't even start until the afternoon. Others confirmed that should the college be victim to a serious incident, staff members would have no clue about what action to take. Thankfully, in this instance, Liam Liebherr was thwarted just hours before he may well have carried out a school shooting, which would have been the first in the UK since the tragic events of Dunblane in 1996. Fate happily conspired against the would-be perpetrator this time but the college principal perhaps best summed up the feelings of the parents in Newcastle and across the country when following Liebherr's jailing she said, It's been an awful week. I can't get my head out of what if. So what do you make of what we've heard today? This case is a different one in many respects as there are no tangible victims. Yet had things played out differently, the name Liam Liebherr would have been synonymous with an act of violence with devastating consequences. Looking at the story, I'm struck by how much he looked up to others who'd carried out similar atrocities. I so wish we would stop using these people's names in the media. It just glamorises their actions to other losers like Liebherr. In the same way, 
we surely have to stop giving these serial killers glamorous names. It really is time to move on, and if we must use their names, just use the surname with no Zodiac killer or similar. And please stop glamorising it. No more Bundy films for attractive actors, please. And as for Liebert himself, it is hard for us to say whether he would have gone through the attack. But by buying the gear needed to carry it out, we certainly can't say for certain that he wouldn't have done. And even more chillingly for me and for you, as events in Plymouth this week have highlighted, there are others like him out there. Those with grudges against people or society. They are in their rooms as you listen to this podcast, either fantasising or even planning how to carry out attacks on innocent people. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspects of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group. You'll be made very, very welcome. And to support the show, please head to the Patreon site. That's patreon.com slash UK True Crime. There's loads of bonus episodes and other exclusive content there for you. So on hearing the news a few moments ago, that all the Premier League results from this weekend are going to be cancelled. I'm looking forward to watching the mighty Leeds United start their campaign next week. So on that bombshell, thank you again so much for listening. Please do take it easy. And despite all the others, stay classy. Cheerio for now. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.